0: our passage today is from Isaiah 50, chapter 50, verses 4 through 9, and I'm going to read from the ESV, and I believe it's going to be on behind me as well. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I gave back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace or spitting. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment, and the moth will eat them up.
1: Well, this might not be news to any of you, but did you know that the holiday season messes with our sleep? Shocking, isn't it? It turns out that 34% of people say that the Christmas season is the most sleepless time of the year for them. This is, I'm sure, for a lot of reasons. All the extra events we have in December take up time. Preparing for them takes up time. It induces some extra level of stress. We eat heavier meals at different times of day. We might have anxiety about family gatherings. We might be dealing with grief if we've lost a loved one. Our rhythms, you know, get disrupted during this season. All of this together means that most people aren't sleeping well in the season when the church calendar invites us to rest in wonder and awe. For me, I notice that a lot of I have a lot of pressure I put on myself around everything holiday related. See, I like to plan fun things. I love to brainstorm. I love to create things. I like a party. I like to buy gifts for people. And I want every gift and every celebration to feel special. Really special. More special than any gift or party has ever before felt special. I want the kids to have a picture-perfect Christmas morning. I want to spend the day snuggled quietly in a blanket while the kids quietly play on the floor by the fire. I want every gift I give to be received with a tearful smile at being so well known. I want every sermon I preach, every sermon I help plan here at Harbor to gift you all with a sense of peace and love and joy that just sticks with you until the next time we're together. And in my sick, twisted mind, I think I can do that. I start to believe that I'm capable of delivering on all of these ridiculous expectations, that if I just try hard enough, I can make Christmas a transformational experience for everyone I know and love. That's sick. And it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot riding on me. Anybody else do that? Anyone else hold on to some unreasonable expectations for yourself at this time of year? my goodness, no wonder we get to New Year's absolutely exhausted. Well, if you're like me, if you take on every project and feel all kinds of pressure or anxiety to do or be or fix something for your people this year at Christmas, welcome. You're in the right place this morning. Together today, we're going to look at another one of Isaiah's servant songs. These poems that we've been reading in the book of Isaiah are about the Lord's servant, Who will come to do a mighty thing who will bring salvation and of course as followers of jesus we read in these songs foreshadowing of jesus oh my goodness there's a fire thanks kate (laughs) we want this to be a peaceful moment that will send you all home with peace (laughs) thanks kate (sighs) my word god has a funny sense of humor doesn't he so we read in these songs, the one that Kate read a moment ago, we read a foreshadowing of Jesus. We read foreshadowing of the one that this season of Advent invites us to direct all of our longing, all of our expectations at. Today's servant song is from Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9. You just heard that. The song has an underlying message that I think might just be helpful for us in this season of Advent This song's big idea is an invitation to consider whether we will be God-dependent or self-sufficient. And that is one of the beautiful invitations of this season of Advent. Last week we said that Advent invites us to believe, really truly believe, that all of God's promises will come true in Jesus. And this week we're going to look at this second invitation of this season. Advent invites us to consider whether we will be God dependent or self sufficient. Today, we're going to talk about the servant's example of what it looks like to be God dependent. And then we're going to hear what the prophet Isaiah says just after this song to challenge the people of Israel and us. Will we choose to be God dependent or self sufficient? Let's look first at the servant's example. Isaiah 50, 4 through 9, tell us about the servant and his dependence on God. And there's three things I want us to notice about the servant in this passage. The first thing is the servant listens to God. Verses 4 and 5 describe the way the servant is woken by God every morning to hear from God. The servant is described as one who is taught, as one whose tongue is instructed, The word for instructed is the same word we use for a disciple. This gives us the impression that the servant is listening carefully to what God says. The servant is paying attention, making note, internalizing what God says, and determining to live it out. The servant isn't moving on his own impulses. The servant is listening to God. And his listening leads him, verse 4 says, to having words that encourage the weary. His learning leads to him having words to encourage the weary. Listen, there is a whole sermon here how in God's kingdom, the purpose of knowledge and wisdom is the benefit of other people. We don't have time for that. (laughs) But that's what the servant does with what he learns from God. He encourages That's the same servant we read about two weeks ago when Nate preached, and he said that the servant said he wouldn't break a bruised reed. The servant is gentle. The The servant is encouraging. The result of the servant's listening to God is words that help, words that build up, words that encourage the weary. The servant here is described in contrast to the people of Israel. A few verses earlier, the voice of God spoke, saying, Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Israel was described in those verses as people who didn't listen to God. And so the servant is set here as a counterexample, someone who does listen when God speaks. I think it's no wonder that the early church and the writers of the Gospels drew out this foreshadowing of Christ from these words. Over and over in the Gospels, we read that Jesus got up early in the morning to pray, withdrew to a quiet place to pray, brought his disciples away with him to pray. See, Jesus, like Isaiah's servant, was committed to listening to the Father. So the servant first listens to God. Secondly, the servant obeys God, even when it leads to suffering. When God spoke to the servant in verses 5 and 6, the servant says, The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. The servant has listened to God. So he knows what God wants him to do, and he does it, even when it led to his suffering, his complete humiliation, pulling out a beard, spitting in someone's face. That's not just violent. It's humiliating. It's gratuitous. It's completely disgracing someone. The servant doesn't deserve it, but he takes it. He suffers willingly in order to do what God asked him to do, And again, the parallels to Jesus here are clear, aren't they? Jesus said in John that he came from heaven not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Paul notes that Jesus' obedience to God led to suffering. Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the servant listened to God, and the servant obeyed God, even when it led to his suffering. The third thing the servant does is that the servant relied completely on God. And we see that in these other two items, but here I want to dive in a little bit deeper on the ways we see this servant completely relying on God. Now, when we read biblical poetry or literature, or really any poetry, any literature, looking at repeated words is a good clue about what the author is attempting to convey. Right. So when you see words repeated over and over again in a verse or a passage, pay attention, that means something. So if we look at this poem, you'll notice that four times the servant talks about the Lord God, Jehovah Adonai. The Lord God gives him the tongue of one who is taught. The Lord God opens his ears. The Lord God helps him. The Lord God helps him again. This is a song about the servant, but the servant makes it very clear exactly who has empowered him to do the tasks that God gave him. This is the servant's song, but God is the topic of it. The servant seems crystal clear on his need for God and God's guidance. In verses 4 and 5, the servant talks about how God helps him know what to say by opening the servant's ears to hear from God. He says, by morning, he awakens me. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God opened my ear. The servant is crystal clear that even his ability to listen to God is God-initiated and God-empowered. God wakes him up. God opens his ears. The servant in this passage understands that his usefulness and his role is entirely dependent on God helping him hear what he needs to hear so that he can say and do what he needs to say and do. God wakes the servants up. God opens the servant's ears so he can hear. And just as the servant relies on God to help him hear and do what he needs, the servant relies on God for his deliverance and his vindication. That's what verses 7 through 9 are about. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. So the servant's saying, even though you're humiliating me, even though I've done nothing wrong, I am determined to stay on the course God has mapped out for me. I will keep my head high because I know that God will deliver me. God will prove my innocence. He believes that God is near him, not just to signal proximity, but with God standing on his side, it's saying literally, God is on my side. God's on my side. Come at me. I have God next to me. Bring your case. Say whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Accuse me of anything you want. God is on my side. And God will prove my innocence. So the servant can obey God regardless of the consequences because the servant, through all his listening and learning, has come to trust God completely. Listen, obedience, obedience is evidence of our trust in God. Obedience is evidence of our trust in who God is. We can easily see Jesus here, too, can't we? In Luke 9:51, we read that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. That described the beginning of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, where he knew he would be captured, tried, tortured and crucified. But he set his face. He went anyway. Jesus endured humiliation, scorn and excruciating pain. His obedience to God cost him dearly but he was vindicated three days later with an unstoppable resurrection. Philippians 2, we read a minute ago. I want to keep reading. It first said, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Talk about vindication. So the servant Jesus can endure suffering that is caused by his obedience because he relies so much on God that he trusts God's deliverance will come. Whether now or in the future, the servant knows God will vindicate him. And he says not only will he be proven innocent, he said his accusers will disappear like clothes eaten by moths. This reminds me, I'm kind of an Avengers nerd. I love all those movies. This reminds me of the Avengers movie, uh, Avengers Endgame. Right, You get to the end, and Thanos is the big bad guy. He's made half of everyone disappear. He's big. He's bad. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to beat him. And just when it looks like all is lost, Iron Man puts on the Infinity Gauntlet. He snaps his fingers and says, I am Iron Man. And then Thanos and all his bad guys turn to dust and float away. And in a matter of minutes, nothing remains at all of what had appeared to be an unbeatable, destructive force. That is what the servant is saying is going to happen. All those people who are making life hard on him, all those people that are humiliating him because he's following God, snap of a finger, they're going to disappear, and he will be vindicated. So the servant here in Isaiah listens to God. The servant obeys God, even when it leads to suffering, and the servant relies completely on God in his suffering because he is confident that God will come through. Well, what an inspirational character, huh? That's nice. How does this apply to us? <laughs> what are we supposed to do with Isaiah's third servant song this Advent season? Well, to find that out, we need to keep reading two more verses. Verses 10 and 11 tell us what this has to do with us. So let's look there at Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches you have kindled. This you have from my hand, that you will lie down in torment. So in these verses, Isaiah turns back to his audience. He's basically saying, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to be like the servant or not? Are you going to listen to God? Do you trust God enough to obey him, even when it might lead to some kind of suffering or loss? Will you be completely dependent on God, even when it seems like all is lost? To Israel, the question was, will you try and figure your own way out of your exile in Babylon? Or will you be like the servant, listening to me, obeying me, dependent completely on me? And that's the same question for us. Will we choose the way of self-sufficiency or the way of God-dependency? Isaiah says that there will be seasons in our lives when we follow God, and even when we're following God, we start walking into darkness. There will be seasons where we've listened to God, we've obeyed God, and we are still sitting in pain, in confusion, and in suffering. Where we're being humiliated and it isn't fair. Where we have found ourselves in the darkness. That's what happened to Jesus. And if Jesus is our example, we should expect that what happened to Jesus will happen to us. We will sometimes find ourselves suffering in the dark. And Isaiah's question for us is this. When you find yourself in obedience-induced darkness, will you take things into your own hands, or will you trust god isaiah says that if we take things into our own hands if we equip our ourselves with whatever light we can scrounge up if we get caught in any kind of anxious activity just to try and make something happen that's going to lead to pain god says in verse 11 if you do that if you try and find your own fire to light up this night you'll get what you want you'll have light but it might be because your wreath's on fire It might not be helpful light. (laughs) It might be light that's leading you down a path that isn't where you want to go. Isaiah says to us that our self-sufficiency, our whole idea of I can do it myself, that whole mentality is doomed. It's a lousy way to live and it only leads to death. Following the example of the servant means that when we are in the darkness, we sit down, We take a deep breath and we get comfortable. We don't start freaking out and try and figure out how we can get out of the darkness. We settle in. We put our minds on God's promises, not on our situation. We choose to stubbornly trust him And not our own strategies to get us out of the darkness. And that simple act of defiance declares that we trust God, not ourselves. And if we choose the way of God's servant, if we listen to God all the more in the darkness, make more time to read his word in the darkness, make more time for sitting in silence with him in the darkness then right there in the darkness, we will experience the same peace that the servant did. Peace that doesn't come from an absence of pain or an absence of conflict. Peace that doesn't come from the perfect holiday season with all the perfect relationships at our family table. Peace that comes from a fierce belief in a God who never fails. So in this season, when the world around us is busy looking for any light that we can possibly put our hands on, Isaiah invites us to sit quietly and listen to the voice of God, to resist the pull of the chaos all around us and just listen to God, to resist the pull of the perfect holiday, the chaos of the dysfunctional family dynamics, the defending ourselves against what someone said about us that wasn't fair, to resist all of that and just to confess our reliance on God, to help us wake up every day wanting him more than our to-do list, to confess our need to be taught by him so that we bring encouragement, light, and life to those in our lives instead of hurting others out of our stressed-out self-sufficiency. So this morning, does your life exhibit signs of peaceful dependence on God? Or does your life right now look a little more like the anxious activity of self-sufficiency? What could you do today, this week, to make time to just listen to God the same way the servant did. Maybe a great first step is just to confess now that you need God's help to even wake up wanting to listen. Declare your dependency on him. How else can you maybe be intentional this week? Do you need to put it on your calendar? Do you need to have someone who holds you accountable for spending time with God? Um, I'm thankful to have a group of four other women that I do a U-version Bible study with. And the little notifications I get when they've commented on the plan we're reading invite me to take a few minutes and quiet myself to do the same. Maybe that would help you. Or do you need a post it by your computer or maybe an alarm at a certain time on your phone to remind you to breathe in and breathe out and just sense God with you? how can you choose this week to say no to the noise and yes to God's voice this week? And we said that obedience is evidence that we trust God. And so what does your obedience to God look like right now? Let me suggest, if there are places in your life where you are struggling to do what you know God wants you to do, let me suggest that maybe instead of feeling bad about yourself, maybe God is inviting you to be honest with him and with yourself about where you're having trouble trusting him. Maybe that's a question you can sit in this week. See, when we rely on God, when we trust in his ability, his faithfulness, his love, then we can face suffering and pain the same way the servant did. When we rely on God, we experience the peace Jesus promised his disciples. Peace that he said is better than any kind of peace this world can offer. Peace that Paul says surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that makes no earthly sense. So now, just as we've done the past few weeks, we're going to have a few moments of just silence. As crazy as things are out there, we want to give you some moments of silence in here this morning. This is time for you just Breathe in, breathe out. Listen to God. Ask God what he wants you to hear about this invitation to choose dependence on him over self-sufficiency. To listen to God, to obey God, to rely fully on him, even in the darkness. So let's take these next few moments and sit with God. And as Kate mentioned earlier, if you want prayer this morning, I'll be out in the cafe after the service and I would love to pray with you. Let me pray, and then let's just take some moments to breathe in and out in silence and listen to God together. God, we're here this morning, Uh and even just our presence in this place this morning is saying something. (laughs) It's saying that we need you. We come this morning knowing we need you. God, what's so beautiful about the way your Holy Spirit works is that you can work in each of us just how we need. You can take some simple words um, that a preacher preaches and touch each person's heart and speak to each person's heart just what they need. And so, Lord, that's what we're asking of you in these next few moments, um, that you would lift to the surface whatever it is you want us to hear from you um, this morning in the silence. Help us be drawn to you by the love you have for us. Help us not be afraid. Help us to sense your love, drawing us in, inviting us in to a greater dependence on you. In Jesus' name, amen.